Hello, I'm Mark, and this is the Fast Track Impact podcast for researchers who want to be more productive and achieve real-world impacts from their research. This week, I want to talk about meetings. We spend a lot of time in uh, in meetings in our uh, in our average week as academics. Um, uh, but uh, I'm going to think about meetings in two different ways because uh, yes, we have the nightmare of too many meetings, uh, badly managed meetings with our colleagues. Um, but uh, but for many academics, uh, a far bigger nightmare is the prospect uh, of meetings that include our stakeholders and or publics. Whether that is a partnership meeting for a large project that includes organisations beyond the academy um, as part of your steering group or whatever, uh, or whether this uh, is a, a set of workshops that uh, that you might be uh, that you might be organising. Um, uh, for many academics, when uh, we embark on a pathway to impact, uh, there is this slow dawning realisation that uh, I'm going to have to talk to people uh, beyond the academy who may be very different from me. They're going to have different backgrounds, different levels of education, different um, viewpoints uh, that may differ from mine, differ from each other. They could be in conflict with each other, with me. Oh my goodness, yeah. And you don't even want to, to start on your pathway to impact because you realise the magnitude of what could, in theory, go wrong. Uh, so I'm going to give you a few uh, tools and tips that, that I use. Um, I think I'm probably going to do this in two parts. We'll see how long this takes. I don't want to, to spend too long with you. Um, uh, because uh, I'm going to delve into the, the deeper dynamics of, uh, of how we can manage uh, complex uh, groups, uh, large groups, small groups, um, but in particular challenging individuals and situations uh, so that I hopefully take some of the fear out of this for you. Uh, and I'm going to start with um, a, a statement um, and you can you can argue with this if you wish, but uh, this is from my own experience, um, and I would argue there's some pretty good uh, evidence behind this as well. Although the evidence would suggest there's probably a few more things going on, but I'm going to suggest that the most important reason why meetings go wrong, whether they're meetings with colleagues or um, uh, these are things uh, out there uh, in the real world, uh, is power. And specifically, this is power dynamics, which have been left unmanaged to go wrong. And uh, this is based on experience uh, as a professional facilitator. So uh, I uh, have been trained by professional facil facilitators. Um, I've led over 100 um, processes around the world. I wouldn't describe myself as a, an experienced or a, a particularly expert facilitator, but I can do it and, um, and I, I know the theory and the practice. Um, uh, and so this is um, from uh, my own poor practice and what I've learned when I've seen things go wrong, but also as a participant. Uh, and we've all been in badly managed meetings and workshops. Uh, and, uh, and you can probably look back and think, yeah, that's the point at which it went wrong. Uh, and very often, uh, and in my case, usually, uh, you can trace this back to the power dynamics um, being allowed to go wrong. So uh, if that is the, the case, then, um, then, then what can we do to, to get those power dynamics uh, sorted? Well, uh, a very simple solution is I, I employ a professional facilitator. Great. Um, uh, now, to, to do that well, uh, that, uh, that is going to cost you uh, potentially a very large sum of money. 
Um, so uh, the, the most experienced facilitator that, that I know is Diana Pound from Dialogue Matters. Uh, she has run processes in the Middle East um, on highly controversial environmental issues in the UK. Uh, I think most recently, uh, the badricals uh, stuff that she's been involved in, for example. Um, and uh, and uh, and I am willing to pay a, a sum of money for for someone as experienced as Diana to uh, to run my processes. Um, uh, but uh, I don't always have enough money, um, or I, I don't uh, have enough time to plan ahead. And the chances are I'm going to get dumped in it at some point. And the question is, will I sink or will I swim? Uh, and I think a few little tips can make the difference between uh, between drowning or surviving. So. Uh, if uh, if my uh, uh, statement is correct, that uh, power is very important and the number one reason why things go wrong, then uh, the first step is to identify power dynamics um, in, in the room. Uh, and so for me, a power dynamic is a power discrepancy. Uh, I want to uh, identify as soon as I can, uh, ideally as I'm walking into a room uh, and in with the first seconds and minutes, even before the meeting has started, I want to know, is there someone or a number of people who are more and others who are less powerful in the room. Uh, this is a relative thing, and it's a subjective thing. This could be uh, that these people think they're more powerful than everyone else. It could be that the rest of the group thinks that someone is more powerful. Uh, it could be that in some uh, some actual real way that they have uh, a certain type of power over other people in the room. Um, so... Uh, we, we were trying to identify who these people might be. Uh, and the more people that I have that I think are uh, have a, a bigger discrepancy of power, the bigger that, that power dynamic is, um, uh, the bigger the problem I've got. And if I walk in and I realize I've got a big power dynamic, um, uh, a massive discrepancy right at the beginning, then uh, I know I've potentially got a rocky ride ahead of me. And I'm already adapting and thinking about my plan B uh, and going straight there uh, rather than my plan A. Um, uh, so uh, let's let's have a think about the things that you might identify. Um, so uh, have a think yourself, uh, and most people can instantly come up with a whole load of body language things. Uh, now the problem with body language, as with all of these indicators, is that they are just simply that, they're indicators. So uh, they're going to indicate to me that there's someone who may or may not be high or low power. Um, and I'm going to have to look at a few different things and triangulate them before I get anything um, reliable. So uh, I, I'm going to look at uh, body language. Uh, and I think that a lot of the details can be misleading and very culture-specific, whether that is um, some kind of uh, culture at a societal level, at a subpopulation level, at an organisational culture level. Um, uh, the, these differ widely. Uh, so for me, uh, it's the, the broader things I'm looking for. So a whole load of things I would categorise as um, uh, taking up space uh, and, uh, and open. Uh, and the, the the idea is that uh, if you have open body language that takes up space, uh, then you're confident. Um, uh, and the idea is that, well, why are you confident? Maybe there is a basis for that confidence, um, confidence and you feel quite powerful. Um, so it's a clue that maybe there's someone who feels powerful uh, sitting right over there. Um, uh, and of course, the opposite of that is people who um, have... Uh, uh, 
body language which takes up as little room as possible that's kind of hiding body language so I'm kind of curling myself up into a little bit of a ball here uh, I've crossed my legs and my arm and they're closed now um, <clears throat> so uh, so large expansive taking up space open versus um, kind of hiding and uh, and closed body language great uh, before uh, anyone's even sat down, I'm looking at um, uh, the people as they're standing around the room. Uh, is there one person who is standing against the wall, um, uh, apart from others in the group, uh, drinking their cup of coffee and not uh, giving anyone eye contact? Uh, is there someone else um, who uh, has two or three people collected around them and maybe two or three others hovering around them, uh, hoping to get an audience with them? Um, uh, instantly uh, low versus high and the uh, former versus uh, the, the latter example. Um, uh, I'm looking at then as they take their seats, uh, who gravitates to a position of power. So in a Western culture, perhaps taking the head of the table. Uh, in some other cultures, it's who sits uh, along the middle, who instantly then goes to try and sit next to them uh, to make sure that they're sitting next to the most important person, who, by contrast, in the board table type situation, takes a chair away from the table, back to the wall and sits there creating a second tier. <laughs> uh, I'm not important. Don't talk to me. Don't, uh, don't engage me. Um, uh, great. I'm looking at how people are dressed. Uh, in certain cultures, uh, there will be certain certain clues. So in a university culture, very often, um, uh, if you are a man, uh, you may well be, well be wearing a suit jacket uh, and perhaps a tie. And that may denote that you have hierarchical power uh, as part of a senior management team. Uh, harder to uh, discern um, for women. There are less um, kind of codified uh, norms uh, around what people, uh, what, about what women wear. Um, but uh, don't get fooled by this. Uh, I was in a meeting, um, it was a, a policy meeting, a, very, a fairly high-level policy meeting, and um, uh, and there were lots of people um, wearing fairly smart clothes, and then one person turned up wearing jeans and a T-shirt, uh, and that person was actually um, a chief executive of an environmental charity, uh, and he was making a point, <laughs> and it was a very obvious point um, uh, in terms of what he uh, what he wore, um, uh, and, uh, and yeah, he was very outspoken in that meeting and exerted quite a lot of power. Um, in my PhD research, uh, I, I was working with um, pastoralists in the Kalahari Desert, uh, and uh, my my interpreter and guide uh, told me that there was a, a very strange um, uh, code going on where, first of all, if you were a man, you were allowed to speak, and if you were a woman, you weren't um, uh, in this particular setting. Uh, and uh, and then, uh, actually, if you were a man, then it mattered what hat you were wearing. So if you were wearing a woolly hat, then you had no power. But if you were wearing a wide-brimmed hat, then that meant that, uh, that you could speak. Uh, and basically, the code was that uh, if you were wore a woolly hat, then you were a herd boy um, and uh, and you looked after the cattle. Uh, if you wore a wide-brimmed hat, then you were a cattle owner um, uh, and you would uh, typically, uh, yeah, so, so that was typ that was the, the, the cattle owner. And then there was the unwritten rule, which was how many cattle do you own? And the, those with wide-brimmed hats who owned the most cattle, um, and everyone in the room knew how many cattle each person had, were the people who had the most power. And walking in uh, as a Westerner, I would have had no clue that your hat would matter. <laughs> 
uh, while I was doing my PhD research as well, um, a, a more extreme version uh, than my board table example with the chair. Um, it just happened that there was a, a, a member of the local royal family turned up uh, fashionably late uh, for a focus group that I was running. Um, uh, I'd realised as I walked into this space that there was only one chair. So I'd uh, taken the chair to the back of the space because I figured if we're going to sit on the ground, then we're all going to sit on the ground. Um, uh, and my, my prince came, uh, went to the back of the space, um, took the chair, uh, and then I had not even realised that there was actually a stage in this place. And he went up the steps, onto the stage, and then sat on the chair, uh, on the stage, looking over the rest of us. <laughs> and I figured, this is not going to be culturally acceptable to make a, a, a prince sit on the floor, but I did persuade him to take the chair uh, and sit with us in the circle um, uh, uh, at ground level. Um so sometimes this is very obvious, uh, and even in a, a culture you're not familiar with, you suddenly, yeah, you instantly get what's going on. And actually, how he was dressed was another clue. Um, uh, so things that you can look at before anyone's even opened their mouth. Uh, now uh, I've got someone who's opening their mouth, and um, uh, how people speak um, clearly matters. Uh, people will speak with more or less confidence, apologising um, uh, and uh, and clipping their words and hedging their statements, or, or making much more confident um, speech, uh, which is perhaps uh, slower and less less nervous, um, uh, with perhaps the, the signs of uh, experience in, in in oratory practice. Um, uh, okay, uh, fairly fairly obvious. Um, but now I'm looking and asking myself, well, um, uh, who uh, naturally seems to be giving themselves more or less of um, uh, of the time, who uh, never seems to ever finish what they say because they get cut off, uh, and who are the people who systematically seem to be the ones cutting others off? Uh, and uh, and this is building an even clearer picture of the power dynamics of uh, of the group. Uh, there's lots more things we could do, but I'm going to finish with one uh, other uh, clue that that I find very powerful. Um, uh, and that's with all of these hugely cultural depend, uh, culturally dependent, um, but this is one around eye contact. Uh, so this works in cultures uh, where eye contact um, uh, is is okay. So if you're in a culture where uh, giving someone eye contact is is deemed um, inappropriate, um, then uh, then then clearly uh, yeah this isn't going to work. But uh, in the vast majority of cultures, uh, this is something that works in a very deep way because uh, no matter how hard you try to control your body language and your speech, um, uh, it's very hard to control what your eyes tell about you. Uh, and so a, a baby, when it is uh, first born, um, uh, will instinctively lock eyes with its mother. Uh, and when we are talking to people, when we care about the people we're talking to, we can't help but give eye contact to those people. Uh, and so we subconsciously give away our, um, our perceptions of who is worth talking to and who is not worth talking to based on how much eye contact we give them. So uh, in an academic setting, if you talk to a secretary who sits next to a chair, uh, they will tell you that they actually feel literally like they are invisible because everyone who speaks in the entire meeting will give perhaps everyone else in the room eye contact, and in particular the chair sitting next to them, and will not at one single point uh, will uh, will anyone give that secretary eye contact because everyone has made the decision that while well, the secretary is just there to take notes um, and he or she doesn't really matter. Um, 
Uh, and if you've been in a conversation like this in a social kind of set setting where uh, one person um, or a few people are getting all the eye contact and you've been kind of left out, you feel it on an emotional level. Uh, and of course, the opposite is the case as well. If uh, you're that one person uh, in the, the front of the audience uh, or the one person uh, in a conversation that is getting all the eye contact and everyone else is getting blanked, you feel uncomfortably kind of on show. Um, so we're picking up on these kind of feelings, but as a, as a facilitator or a chair of the meeting, I'm trying to pick up on that on behalf of, of others um, in the group to see what's going on. Uh, and in particular, uh, you can have a look. Um, it's not just the proportion of eye contact someone gets, but when they get that eye contact. Uh, so if you look carefully, you'll notice that um, it's. Uh, I'm looking at who gets eye contact, and in particular, uh, at the beginning and at the end of what people say. So essentially what's going on is um, uh, I have started speaking and now I've locked eye contact um, with uh, the, the one person in the room who I think is most powerful. Um, so as I'm opening my mouth, they are getting my own eye contact. And on a subconscious level, I'm saying, right, you need to listen to what I'm about to say because you're the one person who might be able to do something about this. So you're not looking at your phone, you're not looking at your laptop, you're giving me uh, eye contact, you're giving me attention, great. Uh, now I'm going to perhaps give a few selected other people some eye contact because you're quite important and I don't want to upset you, great. So two other people are getting a bit of eye contact. Back to my most important person, you're still listening, great. Uh, back to the other two people, blanking everyone else. Uh, and then finally, uh, I'm finishing my appeal, uh, eye contact locked with the most important person again. And on, uh, as I finish on a subconscious level, I am giving the floor to them to give me what I want. Uh, so... Uh, lots of things you can do to, to hack this, and um, I, I would suggest that, uh, that a good facilitator does this instinctively, um, but actually you can learn this stuff. Uh, and with practice, actually, it becomes quite quickly uh, very instinctive, uh, and you just have that sense of, huh, high, low, problem over here, uh, problem over there, uh, this is where I need to focus my attention to make sure that things are not going to go badly wrong. Great. Uh, uh, one final thought just on, on cultural sensitivities here. Um, uh, I hope I've emphasised enough just how culturally sensitive and, um, and, and context-specific this stuff is. Uh, this is not to say that we have to overturn apple carts. Um, uh, there are certain cultural settings that we go into where there are very strong hierarchies, uh, and to try and uh, purposefully break those hierarchies and take power away from the boss and give it to their subordinates um, and putting them on the spot now uh, is culturally inappropriate. Uh, it's going to make people feel extremely uncomfortable. Um, uh, and I would argue that ethically this is uh, this is quite deeply problematic. Um, so, uh, so, so this is not about um, uh, suddenly trying to disrupt cultural norms and, and, and be inappropriate. Uh, but I, I'm looking at those norms and I'm deciding, right, um, so I've invited these other people who are refusing to speak in the presence of, say, their boss, um, men in my Kalahari example. Uh, so what can I do to ensure that I get the most out of the people who are not saying anything, that I represent their voice? Uh, so in my Kalahari research, I decided to have all women focus groups um, job done. Uh, in, uh, in one uh, focus group I ran in the UK, uh, I heard that there was a particularly problematic gentleman um, who, uh, uh, who's, uh, who would regularly sack people as they left a meeting if they had said something that was out of line and that challenged him. 
Um, uh, and so uh, I wanted his uh, his staff, um, uh, and uh, and I valued their their views. And so uh, I suggested to him that he would get his own very special meeting just with me, one to one, because his views were so important, uh, and that uh, his time was so valuable that um, that he didn't need to come to the whole workshop. I would give him that opportunity, and his views would be fed in in that way. Uh, and his staff came, and they spoke very openly. Uh, great. Uh, in other situations, I'm moving from um, a, a group, a whole group discussion to, okay, uh, let's do some small group discussion. Uh, if I've uh, worked out there could be a problem in advance, I may be giving people uh, sticky dots on their name badges and saying, right, we're going to have red people over here, blue people over there, and uh, and uh, and I've organised that in advance to try and avoid the problem. Uh, or it could just be that I'm moving to some other kind of facilitation technique. Right, I want everyone to write uh, their top three ideas on um, up to three post-it notes uh, and put them on the front uh, board. Uh, and now everyone's ideas are there. Uh, I don't have to put people on the spot, um, but but we can discuss uh, everyone's ideas, not just the, 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 the big boss's ideas. Cool. Um, so, so we're being we're being sensitive. We're being um, uh, emotionally intelligent as uh, as we're doing this, um, uh, and uh, and now we understand um, who might be high versus low power. What do we do about this? So, uh, I'm going to give you uh, three techniques that, that I use, um, and then uh, then maybe next week we'll look at some more more practical things because there's there's loads of tricks, and I think uh, the more tricks you have up your sleeve, the more adaptable you can be. Um, so um, let me see. The first of these is um, uh, ground rules. I'm going to go for. Um, so this sounds a bit scary, um, but it's actually not. And uh, what I love about this is that you are using the the power of the group. You're using social power, which means that you don't have to be particularly powerful yourself. You can be fairly uh, unconfident as well. Um, uh, and now, even if this is your boss or someone who has power over you, uh, you have the ability to bring them into line if they're misbehaving. Uh, so uh, what I'm doing now is uh, I am uh, coming up with um, a set of ground rules at the beginning of my meeting because I've realised this could be a challenging meeting. Uh, so uh, I, I can do this explicitly or implicitly. So implicitly, I'm just going to say, right, um, phones on silence. Uh, if you've got a laptop, we'll keep the lids down during the meeting, but feel free to use them during the breaks. Um, uh, fire exits are here, toilets are there, etc. Uh, but just gradually segueing into some more interpersonal rules. So um, we're going to use polite language. Uh, we're going to allow everyone to, to have their say. We won't interrupt people, um, etc. Um, and um, if I want to make this more explicit, then I actually talk about those interpersonal rules and say, look, we want to create a safe space for discussion, uh, or we want to do our best and most creative thinking. Uh, and the research suggests that uh, deep listening enables people to be more creative. And so we are going to practice um, deep listening uh, today. Um, uh, but the, the crucial thing here in terms of this as a technique is that I pause and I ask the group uh, whether or not they agree to these ground rules. Um, and I give them the opportunity to say, no, actually, no, we don't want to do that. Uh, and I ask, are there any additional things you want to add to this list? And only once we're all happy, yeah, those are the ground rules, do we then commence the meeting. 
Uh, and now, when uh, you maybe start getting a bit hot under the collar and start getting slightly inappropriate, I'm able now to to pull this back. Uh, and uh, and this is your worst case scenario. So someone's I don't know using fairly um, uh, fairly inappropriate language, and uh, you can see the group now all looking to you. You're the chair. Uh, you're facilitating, uh, and people are ple- pleading with you. You ought to do something about this. Uh, and so now, despite feeling quite intimidated myself by this person, I am now reminding the person of the ground rules we all subscribe to. And on behalf of the group, I'm reminding them that we said we would create a safe space. Um, we want to do our most creative thinking. Um, and for that reason, uh, I'm just warning you that this word um, uh, can be construed as offensive. Maybe you're not aware of that. Just in case you're not aware of it, I'm just telling you now um, so that we can make sure this is a safe space. Is that okay? Great. Um, and they do it again, uh, and now I'm explaining to them, um, uh, I'm really sorry, let's interrupt what you said, because that word again um, uh, is offensive. I've already warned you about one word, um, uh, and now here's another word. Uh, I can see that you're uh, quite um, quite passionate about this issue, um, but uh, but these are the rules that we've agreed for these very good reasons, um, and if, uh, if this happens again, then I am going to have to ask you to leave. Uh, and um, uh, it's never happened to me yet that I've had to actually then go all the way to escorting the person from the room because uh, the peer pressure now, that this is not just you, and the person can say, well, who are you, and I don't respect you, and I'm not doing what you tell me to do. Um, but actually, no, this is the entire group. Uh, and on behalf of the group, you have said this, and now the power of that peer pressure, they have to disrespect everyone in that room now to be able to continue behaving badly. And most people uh, are not able to do that. And if they are, then uh, actually you escort them from the room. On behalf of the group, everyone breathes a sigh of relief and thanks you afterwards, and you have the power to do that. Great. Now that sounds extreme, uh, but you can do this with a, a, a telephone conference, for example. So, okay, you've got a whole lot of stuff uh, that you want me to do in the next hour. Um, uh, can uh, can I uh, ask your permission to uh, to manage this fairly firmly? Um, and that means that I will cut people off uh, if you're talking too long. Uh, if you've said a lot, uh, I'll give uh, others a chance to speak. Uh, is that okay? I'll wait for the yeses. Um, and then, great, um, that verbose professor uh, is now uh, in check and I've got the power to keep them in check. Great. Uh, the, the next uh, technique I'm going to give you is... Um, uh, What's it called again? Open space. Um, so uh, I discovered this uh, when I was working with uh, Diana Pound, actually. Uh, it was a, uh, a meeting um, that I was uh, in charge of, but she was facilitating. So uh, I wasn't independent. Uh, we were going to be writing a paper. I'd be lead authoring the paper. So I wanted someone um, independent to facilitate. Uh, and um, uh, our funder stood up and uh, uh, and said at the beginning of the workshop, okay, guys, I think you've got this completely wrong, uh, and actually you should have been focusing on this. And I just wanted the ground to swallow me up because this is my funder. Oh, my goodness, are you serious? <laughs> um, uh, and so, uh, so, so yeah, uh, I, I kind of froze, and my facilitator took over and said, okay, so we're going to do a... Uh, 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 what is it called? Uh, open space. <laughs> and... Um, 
Uh, great. Uh, you've got uh, an idea of something important that's missing. Anyone else who's got something missing, write it on a piece of paper during the break. I uh, want people to uh, sign up to that. Uh, and then after, in the afternoon, uh, we're going to take a buffer uh, out of our uh, session. And um, I'm going to ask you to um, sign up for that. As it happened, uh, there were lots of great ideas um, uh, and not enough people signed up for the idea from uh, our funder, who luckily had enough humility to accept that it maybe wasn't the greatest idea. And and as it happens, that um, one hour of our session um, uh, was one of the most valuable hours because we had forgotten a whole load of things. It was great. So power to the people rather than panicking, uh, rather than being totally uh, 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 inflexible. Um, and we got out of a, a fairly hairy situation. Far last um, uh, idea now. Uh, is going to be um, any other business, also known as parking space. Um, but uh, yeah, it's a little bit challenging uh, to call it parking space in case someone feels like they've been parked. So uh, I call it any other business. Um, uh, and again, I've taken a buffer out of my session. Okay, we're going to spend 20 minutes at the end today on any other business. Everyone understands what that is. Um, uh, and I've written this up on the board, AOB, uh, and uh, this is now my verbose person who is talking and talking about something that's not that relevant, and the body language of the group is saying, everyone's getting a bit annoyed, and we're struggling to keep to time because of this one person. Uh, everyone's pleading with me, with their eyes, do something, Mark. Uh, what are you going to do? So um, I'm going to this person, and um, I'm giving them some post-it notes, uh, and I'm saying, great, um, really valuable points. Uh, you've made this a couple of times now, I can see how important this is. Um, we're not going to continue talking about this just now, but we are going to come back to it later. So you'll get a chance to, to think about this in a bit more depth later on, but we're going to keep on track uh, and two times. So we're not late for lunch. Uh, I want you to write this on a post-it note, uh, put it on any, any other business and we'll look at it later. Uh, at the same point, uh, I then ask anyone else in the group, uh, if there's anyone else who's not had a chance to say something, the conversation's moved on too fast, whatever it is, I want you to write it on a post-it note, stick it on any other business, we'll come back to it later. At the end, I come back, uh, and um, and if it turned out it was really relevant, that person's had time to work out how they explain how it was so relevant, and we're all quite happy to look at it at the end. Great. Uh, it, very often they say, yeah, it's not relevant now, we don't need to discuss it. Um, uh, and also what often happens is there are people who didn't say anything during perhaps the whole meeting who've written something on that post-it note. And crucially, I don't hold it up and say who wrote this and put them on the spot. Uh, but uh, anonymously, I take it and I say, right, uh, so nice idea. Let's talk about this. Uh, and what I've done is I've taken power from that verbose uh, and dominant individual and given it to the person who perhaps would otherwise not have contributed uh, anything. So uh, three practical techniques, and, uh, and next week I'm going to have a think about some uh, more practical techniques, uh, give you a bit of a toolkit uh, that will have that same theme, um, taking uh, power away from those who have too much, uh, giving it to those who need more so that they have the chance uh, to fully participate um, in your, your meetings, your workshops. Um, uh, and um, yeah, take take charge of this uh, don't uh, don't allow your meetings to get dominated don't allow them to go off course uh, and i would argue that if you are that chair if you are planning engagement with stakeholders publics you have a moral responsibility uh, to learn enough to be able to deal with the challenging people and situations if and when they arise and go in there prepared uh, and i would argue that uh, that one transforming thought the idea that it is power 
power that you have to manage uh, is enough with a few tools, tips up your sleeve to be able to start getting meetings that work, that are fun, that are efficient, uh, and that at the end of the day don't go wrong and achieve what you and everyone there actually wants them to achieve. <laughs>